I'm excited this morning to introduce to you my friend Jim and his dear wife Kathy. Uh, it's so nice to have them with us. Uh, they, Jim was sharing with us his last two days as we've been uh, going through a uh, marriage conference on the importance of intimacy uh, in marriage and um, how that flows out of intimacy with God. And what a wonderful uh, time that has been. And so um, then Jim is going to bring the word uh, to us this morning. And uh, I know you're going to be blessed. Uh, Jim is the pastor of Pocono Evangelical Free Church, where he co-pastors with his son, uh, Jay. And uh, he also serves as an adjunct professor at Cairn University, uh, where he teaches a, um, a, a, doc, a, a grad uh, course on counseling. Um, but Jim is a, is a friend. He's a brother. He's a co-laborer in Christ. He's, a, he's been a confidant. Uh, he's been... Uh, a, a tool in the hands of God in my life in many ways. And so it is, a, it is a privilege to have you and Kathy, who I know is such a significant part of, of who you and, and who God has made you to be. It's so wonderful to have you with us. And it's such a privilege to introduce you to Integrity Church and for Integrity Church to uh, be introduced to you. So uh, would you give Pastor Jim a warm welcome this morning? Let's take a moment to really quiet our hearts and hear the Word of God, to allow the Word of God to speak to our soul. Reading from Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read starting with verse 29 and then through the end of the chapter. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. I ask, O oh God, that your spirit in a mighty way would take these words from your word and bring them with power to our souls, to our hearts, and Lord, to our mouths. May we hear Christ's voice so that our voice would reflect his. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1978, I was in high school, and uh, my brother, who was in college, was an amazing, brilliant, still is an amazing, brilliant guy. But he was having some significant questions about his faith. And I couldn't answer his questions. 
But something within me told me to seek Jesus. And so I started seeking Jesus. And after having an amazing quiet time and walking along the beach, watching the sunrise, and then this light, just you know how that sun comes, the light was there. And I heard, not audibly, but I heard Jesus' voice as loud and clear as you can imagine. And I knew, I knew his voice. I'd been a Christian for many years, but at that point, all those questions, all those doubts, in that light, in that moment, I understood. Oh, as Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 says, Oh, must we seek? Seek and you will find. And that day on the beach, I found, I heard the voice of Jesus coming through his word. Twenty-nine years later, I was sitting in my office. I'd been a pastor for 22, almost 23 years. And I see a troop car, state police car, pulling up my driveway. And the officers sat me down and informed me that my wife had been killed in a car accident. At that point in time, I was a full-time professor at what was Philadelphia College of Bible, now it's Karen University, as many of you know it. The president came to my home. There was all my colleagues, my whole church. I was pastoring also a church at the time. My, everyone was in and out of the house. It was just this screaming in my head, this cannot be, and yet all this commotion, and I was devastated. Late at night, I don't know how late, but late that night, it was just my sister Deb and me left in the house. And I said to my sister, I'm going for a walk. Should have seen her eyes like get big, like, now what am I supposed to do? <laughs> he just lost his wife, right? Her eyes got real big and, 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 I, and you know, she wanted to come with me. I said, no, I need, to, I need to go take a walk. And I walked in my neighborhood to this place where you can overlook some hills and there was just this darkness. It was like one of the darkest nights in my memory I can ever imagine, plus the darkness of just having lost my wife. And in that darkness, as I cried out to God, I heard Jesus' voice. I am with you. I am 
with you. It wasn't audible, but it was definitely from his word, wasn't it? And although the journey after that was extremely difficult, the truth and the power of that moment, whether it was when I was a sophomore in 1978 or whether I was somebody who had been married for 22 and a half years in 2007, the voice of Christ was there. And it is with the power of that voice, as we turn to the next slide, it was the power of that voice that God wants us today to emulate, to reflect, to take in his voice so that our voices can speak to one another edification and grace. Our text just comes from the one verse there in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. But we're going to jump at the end to verse 32. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for edification, that it may impart grace to the who? To the hearer. And unless we have heard the voice of God, unless we have heard the voice of Christ, I am with you we may be in danger of letting something come out that others may hear that may be what I would call ineffective edification. Now, if you notice in the first point, the focus here is effective edification. And in the context of, can we have the next slide? In the context of effective edification, it starts with, the ineffective. Let no corrupt. Now that word literally means rotten. A.T. Robertson in his Greek commentary asks a question. He asks this question. Have you ever bitten into rotten fruit? Now I'm going to make it even worse. You know those tomatoes in the summer? Some of you have them in your garden. And, and there's just this point where they get really just perfectly ripe. And they, just, they taste amazing, don't they? And every once in a while, you get fooled. And, and you put it in your mouth and you get a rotten tomato. This word, some commentators translate as putrid. That's a good illustration. That tomato goes in your mouth and it's like, oh. And that's this word. Let no putrid. Let no rotten. Thayer in his Greek dictionary defines this word as un fit for use. This word is not used too often in the New Testament, used only eight times according to Blue Letter. And two of the occasions where this word is also used, as well as in our text, is in Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 17 and 18, the word good tree and bad tree are contrasted. And if you note, in verse 17, it says, every good tree produces what? 
good fruit. There are actually two different Greek words. But every bad tree, and Kathy's favorite translation is the amplified. If you have the amplified, it's a, particularly if it's a newer amplified, it will say every what? Unhealthy. Every unhealthy tree will produce bad fruit. Again, two different words meaning very similar things. And so we see that God does not want a corrupt, a unfit for use, a unhealthy word to come out because that would be ineffective edification. Notice the second part, it says, proceed out of your mouth. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context here in Ephesians chapter 4. The word proceed is not used too often. It's used 34 times, but it's used in a very particular sense here. And we, we, we don't really have an equivalent in the English language, but in the Greek words, there are what we call imperatives. And the word is formed as an imperative, and it can be an aorist imperative, it can be a, a present imperative. And here, in this instant, it's a present imperative. So let me define, rather than getting into a lot of Greek, let me define for you simply what a present imperative. Because it says, let no corrupt word proceed, and it's a present imperative. And that means it's a continual command, continually. Fascinating, as we look at the context, the scripture gives us present imperative, present imperative, present imperative, all the way through this text. Look back to verse 26. And in verse 26, it says, be angry. The word be is a present imperative, a continual command. That does not mean you can go out from today and say, God wants me to be angry. <laughs> Because that present imperative starts a train of thought. And the train of thought goes on. And it starts with, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, right? Or, you know, do not sin. And then it goes to, let him who stole steal no longer. That's an imperative. And then to the context of our text. And then it says, put away all anger. And then the context of be angry turns to verse 32. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving. And the word be there is a present imperative. What I said was a continual what? Continual command. Now this is vitally important as we study this text this morning to understand that, hey, what comes out of my mouth can be very deadly. In fact, James chapter 2 calls it, our tongue, untamable. No one can tame the tongue. It calls our tongue an unruly evil, and it calls our tongue a deadly poison. We can all agree we need the Spirit of God, don't we? Yes. To guard our tongues. David understood this in Psalm 141. He says, God set a sentry man in front of my tongue. Guard my tongue, Lord. Protect it. And so ineffective, ineffective edification is a reflection of something important. 
This word proceed is used, as I said, 34 times, and it's used twice in also Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 11 and verse 18, you'll see up there, Jesus says, watch out what comes out. Comes out is the same Greek word to proceed. And then he uses the word that we translate in the text. Um, what proceeds out of the mouth, notice, comes from where? Your heart. If you have a heart problem, I would hope you would go to see a doctor to get it taken care of. But as Christians, we need to understand when something ungodly, when something useless, when something unhealthy comes out of our mouth, we need to be very aware that there's something in that moment wrong with our heart, our spiritual heart. Can you get an amen on that? Amen. We need to make sure that we're not doing ineffective edification. But as we go to the next slide, we need to make sure that we have effective edification. And so Paul moves on to say, don't let an unwholesome or don't let an useless or don't let an unhealthy word proceed out of your mouth. But that which is what? Good. Now, we saw this word good earlier. According to Thayer, remember, Thayer defined bad, the word bad tree, and the word good tree. He defined the word bad tree as unfit for use. Now he defines in his dictionary, in his Greek dictionary, he defines this particular word good as that which is useful. Do you realize that whenever God pours out his good on you, right? That it's useful. And now we see that again in Matthew chapter 7. In verse 17, every good tree, now there's two words for good here. They're both, they're different Greek words. But that first word, the good tree, as well as in verse 18, good tree, is the same word we have in our text. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, that which is useful, and the amplified defines it as that which is healthy. From our hearts, if we're going to have effective edification, we need to make sure that what's coming out of our mouths is both useful and healthy. By the way, that takes discernment. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 says that those who are mature know how to discern by their senses good from evil. And that second word, good, is the same word we have as not the good tree, but a good tree produces what? Good. That which is beneficial. Now let's get to this last word. It's vitally important for us to understand. In fact, it's the whole point here is effective edification. 
Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for what? For edification. Now, this word's not used much in the New Testament, but it's used in some very important specific ways. It means to build up. According to Strong's Dictionary, it means, or the word comes from architecture. Look around here, and I hope that this is architecturally sound. <laughs> Otherwise, we could be in trouble, right? <laughs> Likewise, in the context of our speech, and as we'll end, in hearing the voice of Christ and reflecting the voice of Christ, but in our speech, it reflects what kind of architecture, what kind of building is happening. Some really key verses where this word to edify is used. Like I said, it's only used 18 times according to Blue Letter. But the one time it's used is a little bit before in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. And it talks about gifts in the church, offices in the church. And it says, as you'll note up there, that the reason God gives these gifts is for the equipping of the saints. And then it says, for the edifying, same word, to build up, for the edifying, for the building up of the body of Christ. Do you realize that there is a far more important architecture here in this church than the structure of this building? And the architecture is you and me. Or at least me and my church, my home church. My son who co-pastors with me, he's doing the heavy lifting today there. So I can be here. God gave each one of you here a gift. And his, in his architectural plan, that gift is to be used to build one another up. From the youngest person here to the oldest person here and everyone in between, we are called and given a gift to build up the church. And as we see in our text, one of the primary ways we do it is with our speech, with our voice. I don't have time to get into what your spiritual gift is and all that. Pastor Tony, I'm sure you've taught on it. But use your gift here as an architectural plan. Do you know when churches fall apart, not buildings? When we're not doing that. When we're not edifying each other through the use of our gifts. Furthermore, in Romans chapter 14, Paul addresses the doctrinal differences of the day. There are two major doctrinal differences that probably was a big debate in the church. The first one is, what day do you worship on? You see, in the beginning, after Pentecost, a lot of the Jewish Christians, the apostles were Jews, they focused often on fulfilling the Sabbath. And it would seem that they worshiped together on the Sabbath, and then they went from home to home throughout the week with the breaking of the bread. But then as we see the gospel go forth out into the world, right? And the Gentiles were getting saved. And we see in Acts something really amazing. They specifically met on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday. So you can imagine 
<laughs> this could have been a real debate, right? You can imagine somebody who says, no, we should be worshiping on Saturday. Another person says, no, the Lord's Day is when Jesus rose from the dead. We are excited to get together then. <laughs> Do you know what Paul says? Let each be convinced in his own mind. He didn't even enter into the debate. He said, let each be convinced in his own mind. Then he goes on to address a second issue of doctrinal differences that was in the church at the time. The eating of meat that was offered to idols. That was a big one too. Glad we don't have that one to fight over, right? We got a lot of other ones. And then he says this. Look at this in Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. It is so important to understand this. Because we can tear each other apart, can't we? The structure can get all messed up. The architecture can get all messed up when we don't understand that. this. Let us pursue the things that make for what? Peace. And then, of the 18 times this word is used, it's used once again. By which one may what? Edify, build up, architecture. Isn't that beautiful? So let's consider an important question. How can our speech really do this edification? And what purpose is behind my speech? And the first thing is, I need to engage, right? If you don't engage one another, if there's no communication, if Jesus didn't communicate to you, how could you have been saved? By faith, right? And how by faith did you come to faith? Faith cometh by? Oh, there it is, right? So important. So I need to engage others, but if my mouth is going to engage in a, good way, I need to have a healthy what? Healthy heart. Secondly, we need to make sure our purpose in edifying one another is to encourage. We probably, most of you probably know the text in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, right? Praise God you're here. Amen? <laughs> Not forsaking the assembling of, but what is the, what do we do? But encouraging one another. For those of you who were at the conference that I did over Friday and Saturday, we looked a little bit at that word. That word encouragement means to come alongside, to come alongside. Our words need to come alongside if they are going to edify, if they're going to have purpose when we speak. Thirdly. We need to endure, folks. Easy to become discouraged. It's easy to be say, that person doesn't believe what I believe, right? Romans, Romans 14. You know, they have a different doctrinal, they have a different this or that, right? And we need to make sure that we endure with a healthy heart. And finally and fourthly in this application, We all need to make sure 
that when we engage, when we encourage, and when we endure, we are enriching our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now that brings us to the second point. Paul's not done. He says, make sure you have effective edification, not ineffective edification. And then he gets back to what it is that we should communicate. And he says this, he says, that it may impart grace to the hearer. That it may impart grace to the hearer. Now this word impart, the words we were looking at before, they're, they're, a lot of them are rarely used. This word's used extensively. 413 times. It's usually translated give. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this what? Day our daily bread. Aren't you glad you have that word give? Thayer even defines it in one of his definitions as a gift. You ever think of your speech as a gift? It's not only used there. That concept is also used of not the Lord's Prayer, but in verse 7 of chapter 7, which I mentioned, seek and you will what? Ask and it shall be given. Same word. Same word. So when we open our mouth, it shouldn't be a reaction or an overreaction. When we open our mouth, we should be considering, what is my mouth? What is my speech giving? What am I communicating? And it gives us a simple answer. It says that it would impart grace, keros. That's the Greek word. You've probably heard of it. Pretty important word, right? Ephesians chapter 2, for by what you are saved? For by grace you are saved. In our sanctification, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't miss the last part. To him be the what? Glory. So we grow in grace, we grow in truth or knowledge, and we grow in glorifying God. Pretty cool, huh? But now as we come to our communication, that's what Jesus wants out of my mouth, out of your mouth. He wants you to impart grace. Word study in their Greek definitions of words gives an interesting take on the word grace. Most of us, from a theological uh, point of view, understand that grace is unmerited favor. But I don't want to get into that aspect of it. That's great. Important for our salvation. And sometimes we need to give that same unmerited favor to others. But word study points out that this word is a pictorial word. It means to lean toward. Like this. When I speak, the word of God tells me to lean forward with grace. <laughs> sometimes it's easier and since we just had the marriage conference, I'll do this with my wife. It's easier to move forward like this, right? Very different than this. 
Now I realize that's pretty hard. <laughs> In fact, you might even want to ask me right now, are you really asking me to go and hug somebody? <laughs> The context there, if you look at Ephesians and you go all the way back to verse 25, this is the church of Ephesus, folks. This was a solid doctrinal church. And in that verse, we have what's called a present active. And it says, stop lying to one another. You say, well, that doesn't quite say that in my text. But that's what it means. Do not lie to one another. The present active means stop lying. It was happening. Then... The verse before our verse in verse 28 says, let him who stole steal no longer. What if I were to steal something from you and then lie about it? That would be pretty bad, wouldn't it? <laughs> you may not just want to do this. You might want to, right? <laughs> and by the way, that's why we are to be angry. And that's a quotation from Psalm 4, very important text. So we are to be angry, but we're not to stay angry, are we? We are to move through the process and ask God to give us, through his grace, the ability to impart grace. Pretty high calling, isn't it? Then it ends with this. To give grace to the what? The hearer. Now, before I go to hearing, there's another word that's really important. The word grace is used 156 times in the New Testament, again, according to Blue Letter. But there's a word that is a part of the word grace. The word grace actually comes from the word joy, kara. And keros is grace, unmerited favor, leaning toward. But there's another word that comes out of grace that is the same word. It starts with the same word. It would be like graced, right? Or gracing. And Paul comes back to that word. He uses the first word, and then he comes back to that word in verse 32. Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Be angry, but do not give the devil an opportunity. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Don't grieve the spirit. Put away all anger, right? Put it away. That's verse 32. And now he says, present imperative, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Do you know that that word forgiving is the word grace? The most common word for forgive is, means to not hold it against their account. This word means to lean toward them. Now, you're going to say to me, Jim, that's completely unreasonable. Somebody steals from me, somebody lies about it, and then you want me to lean toward them with grace. And I'm going to say to you, you're right. That's completely illogical from a fleshly point of view. But look at verse 32. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And here's the reason. Just as God in Christ forgave grace, forgave you. We really come and realize 
That's what Jesus did. Amen? That's what God did. That's what Jesus communicated. That's what God communicated. Then we're very concerned that to the hearer, and by the way, this word is used a lot too. It's used 437 times. But that word hearer, Jesus uses my sheep what? Hear. And I want us to end there. Because there's no way, even from a logical point of view, you're going to be able to lean towards somebody in grace if you're not embracing that forgiveness and that grace that Jesus Christ has given you. And so it calls us, it requires us to hear Jesus' voice. And by implication and direct application, Jesus was kind to you. Jesus was tender-hearted to you. Jesus was forgiving to you. And now he says, I want you to have effective communication by imparting, by leaning with my grace. So in closing, our last question of application is what imparts this? You know, some people are going to reject your grace. Am I right? But we surely need to know what kind of spirit imparts this kind of grace to others. And the first thing is, our words need to be genuine. Am I right? There's nothing worse than somebody saying something to you that you know they're not genuine about, right? That just just doesn't set right. And so we need to be very aware that when Jesus' voice is heard in our lives, it is genuine. When I heard, not literally, but spiritually deep in my soul, when I heard Jesus' voice on that beach as a sophomore in high school, I heard the power of grace. When I heard Jesus' voice, I am with you in that dark moment, the day my first wife of 22 and a half years passed away. That voice was so powerful. And it was genuine, folks. And you've heard it too, haven't you? Secondly, it needs to be giving. That's what that word in part means, right? To impart grace. It needs to be a giving. We want to have words that are giving. Thirdly, we need to have words that are kind. It's not easy, is it? Again, I I didn't make the context. God did. The church of Ephesus had people who were stealing. The church of Ephesus had people that were lying. And this is the context we're given. Has somebody lied about you and stolen your reputation? Happens, doesn't it? And God says, I want you to have words that are kind. Be kind. Tender-hearted. I'll just say a couple thoughts about this, but if you take one thing away, it would be really powerful. 
And that is bitterness is the antithesis of tenderness. And if you have a bitter heart, your words will be bitter. And you need to come to Jesus because he's the only one who can make your heart tender. And then the last thing is let's be forgiving. What an amazing impact that would have upon the world to actually see a godly example from the church of Christ of forgiveness. Now as we come to close today and we come to the last slide, our conclusion, the first question that's so important is, are we hearing? Are we hearing the voice of Christ? The voice that is genuine? The voice that is so giving to you? The voice that is kind? The voice that cares so much, it's tenderhearted, even, even when we mess up, right? And the voice that has forgiven you, are we hearing that? And then secondly, are we showing that? Are we reflecting that voice that we have heard so that our voice, our communication, our edification is genuine, giving, kind, tender-hearted, forgiving? Let's pray. Truly, oh God, this is a reminder of how we truly need to hear your voice and your grace and the power of your spirit in our lives so that we can be people who effectively bring edification, effectively communicate. I thank you, oh God, that you effectively edified and communicated with us. In Jesus' name.